Welcome to Made in Africa. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Made in Africa podcast. And what a fortnight it's been since we were last here. Senegal and Morocco both made it through to the last 16 of the World Cup in Qatar. But there was heartache for Ghana, Tunisia and Cameroon, despite all three winning matches in the group stages. We will be joined by Nizar Kinsella of the Evening Standard later to discuss the knockout games between England and Senegal and Morocco's clash with Spain. But there is really only one place to start, and it's time to welcome my esteemed co-host, Rahman Osman, live from Doha. Mate, how are you feeling? Uh, I feel I feel okay. That's the best I can say. But yeah, yesterday's game between Ghana and Uruguay has just knocked me out of my patch. But yeah, that's how football is, isn't it? These, some days are really good. And some days are really tough, but that's what makes the game beautiful. That's right. And it was it was such a difficult watch, I have to say. I mean, I can't imagine what it was like being in the stadium. But, you know, everybody watching yeah. around the world and seeing that penalty being awarded and the flashbacks. I mean, I had proper flashbacks to, to that night in, uh, in Johannesburg, Soccer City, 12 years ago. And just praying that he was going to score. And... I, I, you know, penalties often change the game, you know, either way, if you, you score or you don't score. But I don't think I've ever seen a penalty affect a match so quickly, uh, you know, being missed by Andre Ayew. And then obviously Uruguay took control of the game. Yeah, no. And if there was one man to take that penalty, it would have been Andre Ayew because he's, he's the most experienced player in the team. He's a captain of the side. He's a penal first choice penalty taker. Hadn't missed 25 of his last 25 penalties and was the only surviving member from that, that team that played against Uruguay in 2010. Even though he was he was suspended for that game, he's the only surviving member from that group. So everything pointed that he was the right person to take the penalty. But football can be cruel. And this is worth pointing out that football can be a cruel game. There's no, there's no hiding from that. And I use Ghana's most cap player, and as I speak to you, he's literally going through a lot of crap. But yeah, that's how that's how it is. He's going through a lot of crap. Yeah, you mentioned on your your Twitter about his his daughter, and I've seen the reports. You know, he had to go and see his daughter in hospital. She collapsed after the penalty, which is just really distressing news um, for everybody. Yeah, she. Yeah, she collapsed after the penalty, um, which is kind of really. Um, how do I say this? It's kind of really sad because she she she's seven, and once her dad missed the kick, she collapsed. <laughs> we can tell you how impactful it was. So the player had to leave the stadium and go and be with the daughter, but she's fine now. She's back home. And if there's one thing that unites a lot of people in Africa, it's football and it's passion, it's it's emotions, it's pride, and a lot of people are not taking it to lying down. It's such a really difficult time. It's hard to find words to put into it. I mm. mean, being a Ghanaian, I know what it means to, to Ghanaian people to have to have the chance. And and they literally threw it away because a draw would have been enough to go through. And even mm. when we got opportunity to to be able to go through, even with the penalty given, we then missed the penalty, which which in turn is quite really difficult and, and hard to understand. And 
if the ghost of football will, will, will even think about it because Ghana missed the chance to make that last four of the World Cup when I was 18 in 2010. Mm. And again, they have missed the chance to go to the next stage of the World Cup against the same opponent and with penalty being at the center of everything. It's, it's such a cruel thing to say. So sometimes you allow people to grieve because people grieve in different ways. Yeah, it's a shame. It's such a shame because you, you felt that this, this was a team capable of, of something really like, especially you know against the, the the victory against South Korea. They really showed some great stuff. I know they conceded late and had to hang on a little bit, but there was there was a real lot of real low potential. And I think the the coach, you know, obviously Otto Addo's now stepped down, which we all expected after the tournament. But it just feels a shame that he couldn't have had at least one more game with them. It, you know, it would have probably been against Brazil anyway, but. Still, you know, it just felt like they deserved to get through until that last performance when obviously it all went wrong. Yeah, that's the cruel part. Only because, listen, not many people gave this team a chance when they were coming in the first place. Yeah. And to be fair to them, they've gone up and raised expectations. And they've gone gone out and bent their expectations in flames when everybody was expecting them. Because... Uruguay themselves haven't been great in this tournament and not to hurt a lot of Ghanaians. But I feel that the best two teams qualified from the group. I mean, we beat South Korea, but they still just look like a better unit than Ghana. And mm. in the end, they put a lot of pressure on us and we were able to hold on to. But we just made a lot of different mistakes in the past, in the back, at the back. It's it's, it's so difficult to explain, honestly. <laughs> but the the... The most important thing now here is that there's a big opportunity that was handed Ghana to make the knockout stage and make history that in our lifetime we would have seen three African teams make it to the knockout stage of the World Cup. What Ghana did yesterday means that only two will make it, just like in 2014. But you can't help but feel that this has slipped out of our hands and it's done so cruelly and, and we've, we've got no one to blame by ourselves. Yeah, but at least you had the, the, the consolation of Luis Suarez's reaction and seeing his tears, um, you know, which which must have made up for it a little bit. I know you don't want to gloat in somebody else's misfortune, but for it to happen to to him after what happened in 2010, you know, it was a little bit of, of uh, you know, good feeling about that, I suppose. It must have been a strange feeling because both teams obviously got knocked out in that match and it was, you know not great on the pitch afterwards, was it? Their behaviour by the Uruguayans. Yeah, no, it's 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 quite I, I feel like yeah Suarez was quite really upset and I saw him go through the mix zone and looked quite really upset. But yeah the bigger picture would have been able would have been to to kill two birds with one stone. And that would have been to knock out Suarez and also progress to the to the next round of the competition. Unfortunately it wasn't to be and Ghana have no one to blame but themselves. There was, there was, there was a real chance to do that. Okay, now it's time to join our very special guest, Nizar Kansela. Niz has been following England around Qatar for his job with the Evening Standard, but he also has Moroccan heritage and is particularly delighted with how well the Atlas Lions have been doing at the World Cup. So welcome, Niz. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, both my teams are doing well in the World Cup. So, yeah, sorry, Rahman, but uh, yeah, it's uh, going well for me. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're, you're a man to follow. Yeah, that's no, fine. I'm, I'm, I'm buzzing for you. 
<laughs> yeah, definitely. It's uh, yeah, it's amazing. Um, I've been watching England live, and Morocco has been more on TV. But I will be at the uh, Morocco Spain game. What a game! Um, mm. you know, local rivalry, really. And um, it, you know, if you know your history of that region, um, it's quite tasty, really. So uh, yeah, what a knockout game for them to have to introduce them to this stage of football. Definitely, and they won the won the group as well, which is an amazing achievement. Uh, I don't think. Many people saw that coming, especially with uh, a group that had, um, you know, two semi-finalists from the last World Cup. But let's start with England-Senegal, because that is the first one on the agenda on Sunday evening. And, well, what can we say? I mean, it looks pretty straightforward for England. I think most people think because Mane's not there, Gay's not there because he's suspended. But we all know that things, stranger things have happened in football and... Uh, what chance do you think England have got of being upset for the first time? It would be the first time they'd ever lost in 20 matches against African teams. Uh, so it would be the 21st. And any any chance of that happening? There's certainly a chance, yeah. Um, I think that Senegal have pedigree now in tournaments, having won the AFCON. I think that's, that's huge for them. Um, they're solid, aren't they? Um, they know how to defend. Uh, got some good players, Chelsea players, um, you know, who I watch closely, Mendy uh, and Koulibaly, uh, both probably not been in that great form, but I think coming into this tournament in a new environment, I think they've really stepped up. So they've got something about them. Uh, it, of course, I think that everyone knows that Mane's loss is, is huge. And um, I think that it's a real shame, actually, you know, I watch want the African nations to do well, it would be great to see, you know, if not England, uh, an African nation win a World Cup. Um, and, you know, I always believe there's the small, there's a glimmer of chance that it could happen, um, you know, and, and Senegal were probably that team that you'd look at um, to do that, you know, maybe to break that ba barrier that's been so huge for African teams, um, even to reach a semi-final or final um, would be incredible. So I was looking at Senegal as that team. I think that taking away Mane takes away a lot. I, you know, it's not rocket science, is it? You know, take away a world-class best attacker from any team. But I think that some nations can't handle such a loss. And I thought Senegal might be like that. And maybe they will be. Maybe they will struggle against England. Um, you know, you'd certainly fancy England's favourites, um, you know, quite, quite overwhelmingly, really, especially without Mane. But... Maybe in that squad, there is a way. They'll find a way. Um, set pieces, you know, they can find other ways of scoring. Um, Koulibaly's always a threat at set pieces. So, um, yeah, there are ways to win um, if you're solid, if you can keep clean sheets. So, um, I think that'll be their approach is to be solid, not let England in. Maybe learn from what the US did um, to get that nil-nil draw and uh, maybe apply some of those methods. Yeah. Roman, do you think that Ali Cisse is Senegal's biggest weapon now I know he's not going to be on the pitch obviously but in the dugout you know he, he's yeah, quite, it, quite I, a competitor I, isn't he Ali Cissé Ali Cissé the same as Khalilu uh, Fadiga the same as El Haji Diof and I tell you Diof has such a Diof might not be on the bench but he's literally the childhood hero of most of these players out there today and I've been lucky enough to have covered the Senegal team. I covered them at the World where African Cup of Nations in January, where they won their first AFCON. And I've been very close to them also. I'm very close to a couple of Senegalese journalists. And trust me, they still call um, Diof as their childhood hero. Because for them, he was one of the true great Senegalese players that put the country on the map in Europe and in the world. 
and he was the proud superstar of their 2002 campaign where they famously beat France. And you can even make a point that that was the biggest result in the country's history. At that time, not many people knew Senegal, but the fact that they beat France were the host, uh, were the world best and, and were easily the best team at that time. Made a lot of people see. And, and funny enough, they were the colonial masters of Senegal. So to beat here, it just meant a lot to that generation of, of kids who've now grown up to be the current crop of players. And I need to add that beyond Cissé also, Bouba Diop, who died or who scored the first goal, the goal against France in that very historic game, died exactly two years to the day England will play Senegal. And so for them, it means the world to them to honor yeah. a man who made their country. I mean, I mean, put their country in a place they had never put before. Bouba Diop. So the feeling within them is that they have the spirit of Bouba Diop with them. And in as much as they are missing Sadio, they are complemented by a bond that is unshakable. And they've turned the loss of Sadio to their reason of having to impress even without him. And they've got some decent players. Key among them is Khalidi Koulibaly at Chelsea. And um, Idris Agane, okay, on his days, he's like a second in goal of Kante. And, I mean, a lot of them spread across. I mean, he's obviously, he's so obviously suspended. So that's going to be a he's yeah, going to be a big miss. But I just wanted to you mentioned Jupp and he said this week that uh, that the build up to this game reminds him of when when they played. I mean, he's obviously saying this to get a reaction, but but when that game you're talking about against France, and he you know he he thinks that basically England are probably underestimating Senegal because you know they're the missing missing players, but. Yeah, as you say, he's the sort of person who could really fire them up. And and with, with Ali Ucise's tactical brain, I think that England are going to find it very difficult to break them down. But what do you think, uh, what do you think, Niz, you're close to the England team. Is there any chance of, I know that they wouldn't say that in public, but what kind of plan do you think Gareth Southgate's going to have to break Senegal down? Because it looks like that kind of game, you know, England pushing and Senegal trying to hit them on the break. Yeah, I think they'll go with the back four. Um, they'll probably play four three three as they have done all tournament. Um, I think they're capable of switching to uh, three four three, which they've done uh, a lot. You know, they played even the Nations League games against Germany and Italy. I think maybe, you know, if you're going to say underestimating Senegal, I don't think they will. But I think that they'll try and play an expansive game, um, try and take a few risks. Um, you know, maybe. You know, people, English people would want them to take even more risks, but, uh, you know, you might see Jordan Henderson in midfield, for example, instead of a more attacking player. But um, I think they will play 4 3 3, which to them is an attacking formation. Um, Marcus Rashford's really got a start, hasn't he? You know, in incredible form. So, um, yeah, I think that that's sort of the way they'll go. You know, Saka or um, Foden on the right is going to be an interesting call. Um, as well, um, but I think Rashford surely, you know, forced his way in as a joint top scorer in the tournament. So, um, yeah, I think they'll sort of let the handbrake off, and then maybe, you know, in the next round, if they get through, I think maybe you'll see the three four three come back into play, especially if it's going to be France, uh, who both teams will be uh, competing to face. Of course, Poland can do it, but France are such big favourites, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, it's 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 well, I think looking ahead. England would be wary of doing that, and so will so will France. But yeah, um, uh, Roman, do you think that that Senegal, if they were to beat England, where would this rank in terms of 
African team's results at the World Cup because I spoke to Sayasek, who's who we've had on uh, the podcast before, he, you know, the founder of Diambars, the academy in, in Senegal, and he said it would be even bigger than that game against France if if they beat uh, England because obviously it would mean a place in the quarterfinals for the second time for Senegal as well. So what do you think if they were to pull off this? Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd still go with the, the France game as being still the biggest. But I mean, times have changed. Football has evolved and, and the, the taste of the fan base is quite different to the taste of the fan base back then. Yeah, but I see what you mean. Yeah, France just... were world champions. Yeah, France were world champion, champions at that time. Senegal had never played at the World Cup. You, you understand? And not a lot had, not a lot of people even in the world had heard of Senegal at that time. Mm. And so, for at that time, and the population of Senegal back then was only 12 million. <laughs> now they are 17 million. I mean, it's, it's, it's such a different time. But that generation of, of, of Senegalese players were unbelievable. But listen, given the circumstances that Senegal are now, now Senegal are African champions. And they've, they, 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 they literally have players. When they beat France, they had players maybe in France and, and, and Belgium and stuff like that. These days they have players in England and Spain and Munich and stuff like that. So mm. it's, it, it's a different kind of thing. But the game, the game against England, if you're English speaking, you'd, you'd love it because English speaking African countries tend to rate England incredibly high. But the French-speaking side of Africa would always love to have one over countries like France. Mm. Yeah, obviously, and we, we saw Tunisia, what it meant to them earlier in the tournament to to beat France, uh, even though they uh, they ended up going out of the tournament. But it was an a, incredible win um, against France's second string. But then France did end up throwing on, you know, Mbappe and co to try and win that. And uh, and then moving on to Morocco, then is it's been a, a a great a great tournament for them so far. They only conceded a goal uh, under their manager in the seventh game, and Walid Regragrui has done really well. I mean, since he came in, did you see this coming at all? Or did, were you quietly confident? Because I know, obviously, Rahman, as I pointed out to you the other day, unfortunately, your prediction was a bit off the mark. You weren't too too keen on Morocco before the tournament. Yeah, I think for me, I just. You know, I thought the coach is a bit of an unknown. You know, you don't really have the time to lead into a tournament. So you're thinking, what can they actually do? And that was probably my biggest doubt. But if you look at the players, they are a strong nation. Um, and they've always been solid at the back. It's more kind of like balancing that solidity with the ability to unlock defences. I think that was the problem at the AFCON. Um, even with players like ZH, sometimes they don't really... Um, you know, click into gear in sort of the creative side of things, but they certainly have in this tournament. Um, I've been really impressed with Unani, who I'd not really seen anything of, to be honest. Um, you know, the Andre player plays in France, um, not a big club, but quite a progressive club. Um, so yeah, I've been interested in him, you know, and Sabiri as well. He's not got a lot of experience at all, um, even though he's 26, but he's come in and, and made an impact. So it's not just been Ziyech, but of course, like Ziyech has provided some pretty amazing moments. They've got the set play thing down as well. Um, you know, it's going to be a huge threat when you've got that left foot of his. Um, and yeah, of course, uh, you know, you've got uh, Hakimi in there as well, who, who's part of it, and Masrawi. So there's loads of there is a lot of quality around that team, um, a goalkeeper as well that you 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 can trust. Although I've seen him have a few shaky moments, surprisingly, um, but yeah, there's loads of 
there's loads of quality in that team, isn't there? Um, so uh, I'm not too surprised. And I think that they're, you know, you said earlier that two semi-finalists in the group, it's going to be tough. And yeah, it could have been. And also Canada have a lot of exuberance and uh, positivity around them. So it could have been a tough group, but I just think they had the right mix of youth experience and um, sort of physicality to really put into the group. And I think that Belgium have obviously declined and, and Croatia as well. I think, you know, there's some players there that are not a top teams, uh, maybe playing the Croatian league and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think it's kind of come together. I think you're probably best place, Ed, you know, after doing your piece on the Moroccan manager, you called it. So, you know what he brings. But, um, yeah, he's clearly got something, hasn't he? And, and hey, it's great to see African coaches as well um, sort of getting getting their time in the spotlight and, and doing really well. Definitely, absolutely. And we, we got to mention Cameroon as well, who obviously beat Brazil and a historic victory, which proved to be in vain, unfortunately, for them. But Riga Besson uh, is, is a bit of a controversial choice as the coach there, but he, he you know, pulled off a great result. So it was unfortunate for them to get through, but, you know, just sort of rounded off a, I think, you know, possibly the best ever group stages for African teams overall. We're very, very close to having three teams through. Um, yeah. yeah, back to Morocco and, and and Rahman. So you obviously misjudged them a little bit, but how far do you think they can go? I mean, have they got a chance to get to Spain? Well, they've got a chance. I mean, if they've topped the group, they had Belgium in in in, in a, you can actually give them all the benefit of the doubt to go through. My problem is that before I made that prediction of them not doing good, there were issues that were really important issues. Yeah. And one of those issues was that Ziyech was not playing at club level. And normally, you'd expect a player not playing at club level to come into a World Cup looking rusty. But again, there's an element of that that allows him to prove a point. And that's where he's really now channels his energy in. Because he wants to leave Chelsea. He needs to have a good World Cup to make, it, to make himself quite attractive. And he's done that brilliantly, I should say. I mean, I've never doubted the ability of ZH. What I have always doubted is his attitude. And sometimes when things don't go his way, he throws his toys out of the prawn. He did that with the national team and got the manager sacked. And in as much as they are getting good results for that, these were the things or the topics leading up to the World Cup. Credit to them, they've come to the World Cup and they've proven that everything and anything is possible. And there's no, there's, how far they can go depends on them. Spain are a technically gifted side and you tend to think that they will be favourites for this one. But it's the World Cup. I saw, I mean, Saudi Arabia beat Argentina. I saw Japan beat Germany. If you made, if you told someone to make a prediction before that game, yeah. most people would have gone for the obvious ones. So just before the game between Morocco and Spain, a lot of people will be tilting towards Spain. But this World Cup has shown us one thing, that African teams and Asian teams are closing the gap between themselves and some of the superpowers of the world. Mm. And for both of you being there, I mean, this first, what... What effect is it having where it's being held? Like, you know, obviously being not in Europe for a start and, and, and in, in a environment perhaps that's not most teams aren't used to. And maybe it's a bit of a leveller. Yeah, I think the Arab fans are really vocal and uh, hearing big numbers. You know, when I first arrived here, even before the matches started, there was a lot of visible Morocco and Tunisia fans. 
especially. Um, I think Moroccan fans have been some of the best here. Um, you know, along with the Saudi Arabian fans as well, they've been excellent just over the border, of course, for them. Uh, they can drive into matches and drive back home. Um, so, yeah, those have been, you know, some of the best fans. It's been a huge impact on the tournament. I think, actually... Um, to be honest, I think that this tournament should have been, you know, Morocco have applied for the World Cup most times and been rejected. So, yeah, FIFA have said that this is a World Cup for the Arab world. I think if it really was going to be a World Cup for the Arab world, if that really was a reason to host a tournament in the Arab world, it would have been in Morocco. It would have been in maybe Algeria or Egypt or or maybe even, you know, Saudi Arabia, um, as much as maybe some people wouldn't like that. But I think that they're real footballing nations. I think that's what Morocco have proven. Um, and they proved that through the fans as well. So I think that they should have, it should have been held there. You know, if it was, if it wasn't about oil, if it wasn't about money, it should have been in Morocco. I think that Morocco are also proving that, delivering great players to the world of football, not just this time, but Hadji in the past. Um, you know, it shows what, shows what Morocco is as a football nation and, and they have real strong clubs as well, let's not forget, mm. um, which you've written about, Ed. So Yeah, well, exactly uh, where yeah. the manager made his name. And uh, yeah, no, I must say, I've been I've been to Morocco a couple of times and the football culture there is very, very strong. And, yeah. you know, and and, uh, and yeah, I think it's four or five times that they've applied for the World Cup, uh, to, to host the World Cup. Not, not for in a few recent years, but in the sort of early part of this century and the end of last century. And it was, I think it was the the former king's obsession, wasn't it, to try and host it? Well, but why not? You know, for, they also applied for the um, the US one coming up as well. It was. Oh, is US... that right? They did as well, right? Okay, so yeah, yeah, that must be. So that makes it five or six that they've applied for, I think, now in total. So, and you you'd think if Africa was going to host another World Cup soon, which it must be due pretty soon, then Morocco would be strong candidates, maybe. But, yeah, it's and, probably a message for Infantino. But uh, yeah, the other thing is you saw um, Moroccan expats taking over the cities of London and, and Paris, didn't you, in the imagery? So it just shows you that, uh, you know, and I went to Morocco uh, during the international break before this tournament and, uh, you know, there was a Moroccan game on and, and you couldn't move for, you know, there was Morocco was being shown on TVs, people watching it on mobile phones while they were working, the radios were on, everyone was in Morocco shirts. Um, you know, you knew there was a game on. Um and and you know that that street culture around a tournament would be excellent to take advantage of. And you don't see that here um really around the game. So yeah, for me it's a bit of a missed opportunity by FIFA and uh, it says a lot about FIFA that it's in Qatar and not Morocco. Mm, yeah, absolutely agree. And Roman, what so what do you think about the uh, the reason? Because I think that this is the correct fact that there's eight European teams and eight non-European teams in the last sixteen. Obviously, five from Africa and Asia, which is a record. Um, I and mean, what would you put that down to? Or is it obviously the improvement of standards around the world? Well, mainly down maybe an indication of a growing improvement. I think we'd need to see more of that consistently to see there is an improvement, but definitely there, there's a sign of an improvement from there. And I've just got to mention, because you asked Niz about how the competition has been so far, and I've just got to say that for me, speaking to other journalists, because this is my first walk, but somebody like Darren and Crossy and Henry have been to different World Cups, and Henry tells me he's been to nine different World Cups. And this one is one of the simplest one he's been to because everything is done in like just one city. So imagine we had the World Cup only in London. Last four years, the World Cup was in Russia and some of them had to take 15 flights mm. from 
Moscow to Peterborough, more traveling time, jet lagged, more time. Here, the furthest you will go is maybe Albait, which is in the middle of a desert. But if you wanted to go, all you needed to do was get to the media center. It's a place called QNCC. There are shuttles that will take you there in less than half an hour. Yeah. So maybe, maybe are you saying that they should have every World Cup in Qatar now then? Not necessarily in Qatar, but then <laughs> it's also one of the experiences you can look because it's the only World Cup where everything is within touching distance. Yeah, no, and it does it, it does so seem very me, convenient, which is going to be me, a big contrast. So obviously the next one when it's going to be expanded teams and, 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 and three enormous countries as well. And and that's even from the perspective of a first-time journalist, there's a perspective of the team and players where they didn't have to keep traveling, where they didn't have to get training interrupted, where they didn't have to keep changing hotels. So there's some of the things that makes this World Cup quite different from the ones that others have participated in the past. And the football, there's an argument to be made that the group stage can be counted as one of the best group stages ever in the history of the World Cup. Because we've had upsets that nobody would have predicted when the draw was made. I've just seen Gary Lineker actually tweet and say that the group stages of this World Cup is one of the most interesting and it won't be the same in the US because mm. they're changing the format. Yeah, and that's such a shame, isn't it? That if, if that this is the last time we've seen this format, um, it would just be, you know, and it was such a classic group stage. Everybody agrees, you know, it, 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 was, it was so exciting. Um, and I think, you know, there was something on pretty much every game um, in the in the final round of matches. So, and uh, we will see what the format is because they're all, they're supposedly talking about changing from 16 groups of three and going have, having third place finishers uh, going through. But let's see what they they come up with. So, and and Niz, just just to finish off then on Morocco, um, Ziyech, he, he is a very interesting character, isn't he? Like, you know, he's one of those one of those people who can can take a team to the heights or if he's not feeling it they're they're basically not not going to play so is it is it as simple as that he's got the motivation of trying to find a new club and he's got a manager that believes in him i think that is part of it i think he sometimes struggles with motivation um especially if he's not believing in what the team is doing or or the way the coach is using him and things like that so yeah this manager has really made him feel loved he said that you know, that's how you get him sick in. I think he spoke about it um, in one of his previous press conferences. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a big part of it. I think at Chelsea sort of doesn't feel important. And he's like, why should I um, bust my balls to make it happen? Um, but, you know, when, when people don't believe in me, which I think a lot of players have that, don't they? Um, I think maybe part of it as well is his style of play and, and almost his body language. He's got that language, sort of body language. You know, it doesn't make you warm to him sometimes. Um, and yeah, you know, I've been around ZH quite a while and um, he doesn't really talk to media that often. But, um, you know, when he does, he's a super chilled out guy. He's got that sort of Moroccan attitude a little bit where he's like, you know, I know he's born in Holland, but he's really relaxed and chilled. And and yeah, I think that sometimes he looks like he doesn't care, but clearly he does, clearly he does hear um, the way he's playing. Um, so yeah, um, and also he's a great entertainer as well. Like you know, you pay. He's one of those pay, players you pay money to watch. So yeah, um, I think Chelsea have an asset that they're gonna cash in on at some point soon in the next six months. So um, yeah, hopefully he goes 
somewhere and, and entertains again because, you know, this tournament shows that he can do it against De Bruyne's and, and do it against top players. So, um, yeah, it's great to see him unlocked and unleashed instead of sat on a bench. So it, it sounds like there's no way back for him at Chelsea, even if, say, he was to, if they beat Spain and, you know, maybe even went further than the quarterfinal. Potter's left him on the bench a lot, hasn't he, as well? So, you know, I thought, you know, the door was open for him, but for some reason or another, it's just not happening for him, really. I think that um, maybe he's struggling with motivation at Chelsea. Maybe he feels like sort of that chapter's closing and uh, it seems to be to me as well. Yeah, it does look like that. And Roman, just to finish off with you then, so what are your hopes now for the rest of the tournament? Obviously, you, with Ghana, the disappointment. But are you still hoping that, you know, Senegal and Morocco can represent Africa well? Yeah, yeah, no, it would be nice to have at least one of maybe Senegal or Morocco. It's tough, honestly. It's mm. quite really tough to see because they've got really tough, tough games to go on. But the truth is, it's a tough World Cup and, and they've they've proven that they are more capable of doing this and they are interesting games. England are so much massive and have really big players and big talents and they can do it. But the point is, they need to be at their best. The US stopped England and Senegal can thrive on that. And this game would literally be one of the biggest games in the history of Senegalese football. And so if England are not at it, then there's a chance for Senegal to actually cause an upset. Within the round of 16, there's got to be an upset. That's for sure. But will it be an African country or an Asian country sneaking through? That's where we need to find out in the next couple of days. But the World Cup has proven that there will be assets as we get along. Definitely. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. It's really intriguing. And thank you so much, Niz, for joining us. Uh, enjoy the rest of your time in Qatar. No worries. Will do. Speak to you again soon, guys. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.